Born in Trouble. In and out the frame, out your flame, I'll make it brighter, douse insane. Hey, hey, hey. What's good? Welcome to the special Tuesday talk from one of our favorite guests, Dr. Kimya Naru Dennis. How you doing today, Miss Dennis? I am doing very well. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. You see, I got that smile on your face because I said your name right. I was so proud because you've been messing up my Swahili name for a minute now. Mm-hmm. Haven't I? Haven't I? Haven't I? But I figured that I better say it right this time because I ain't got no buffers here. There's no Mr. Brooks here. There's nobody here to protect me if I say anything wrong. You know, so you can just, it's just direct, direct to my neck, direct to my neck. And we all know that we hip hop fans, so you got to protect your neck. Protect your neck. Protect your neck. That's what I'm talking about. Protect your neck. (laughs) So you talk about. So listen, you're going to be our first guest coming back from our normal Friday. Normally I would uh, post a podcast today, but I did not because of the people traveling around and, you know, just wanting to get a little break. Sometimes we got to get a break from what we're doing and we get tired of each other too. Everybody gets tired of each other. So I didn't post a podcast today and I'm glad that we're going to do this fantastic Tuesday talk, which is going to be posted up for our listeners to listen to in a couple of days. So tell me how you doing there, doc? What's bothering you today? I'm doing, what's bothering me? Uh, Nothing is (laughs) Our consciousness okay. is not about being bothered. Oh, 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 oh. See, I always come here. I, I leave these open up in the question so that way I can be taught. I need to be taught. I need these lessons. These lessons need to be taught. Well, so, you know, Black folks, we centuries of community work, outreach, and we don't have to necessarily be bothered every time because that messes up our health, right? Right, right. So... I guess that gets to the first thing, black health, yes. which we referenced that probably like two months ago. Yes. Yes. So remember black folks, take care of your health. I don't celebrate these holidays in that same way. We got to find a way to change it, to work for our culture, our family, our people. Don't model after what you've been told for five centuries, including in schools. Don't model anything that pretends that Pan-Africanism, Blackness requires you to be anti-Indigenous, which includes Afro-Indigenous, that you got to be anti-Asian, anti-non-white Hispanic, anti-non-white Latinx, Latin-A, Latin-O. Literally, being anti-people who are Black and Brown around the world, even if there are cultures that are Mm anti-Black and are taught from childhood, you don't have to adopt that. So you're preaching turning the other cheek today, which is no. Like- I don't. I don't ever tell black people to turn the other cheek. No, mm-hmm. I tell black people to respond accordingly. But a lot of times we're falsely told that we have to initiate tension instead mm. of going based on response, mm. and it's that falsehood that. Black freedom, black liberation requires us to go around fighting everybody. Well, that's kind right? of, yeah. Well, that's kind of like the conversation that we had the other day when we were talking about how the black youth today, 
seem to respond to any type of conversation as um, they automatically, you automatically flip the switch to confrontation from a conversation as if like that's some way that you're going to come to a consensus or you're going to come to some type of resolution that's going to be positive for you. And I don't know if people really pay attention, but usually when you have a confrontation in that manner, what usually ends up happening is that your resolution isn't really what you would like it to be, you know, but it's, and there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why that we were taught that confrontation is a um, substitute for conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we were stolen from thousands of years of African knowledges that were, of course, on the continent, but all around the world. We were stolen from African sciences, African readings, even if we're talking about Western Hemisphere alone, that's five centuries of Black scholarship, Black poetry, Black songs. And this also is the problem of following white people's social media and white people's news stories and white people's cable news networks. I proudly have stopped watching these cable news networks. Oh, really? That includes MSNBC, CNN. Mm. It literally is white people, including white liberals, white progressives, white libertarians, white Democrats, white Republicans, white anti-fascists themselves creating something, mm-hmm. the creators of knowledge, and telling us what to know, how to know, and we're supposed to gauge importance based on what white people show us. Right. Well, I mean, we... So, we go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, go ahead. Finish. I'm sorry. Finish your thought. No, don't forget what you're going to say. I just want to say, so when we're talking about Black folk starting these battles, a lot of it is because now they perceive action as not making changes to school curriculum, changes to libraries, changes to their workforce, human resources, not changing local elections and local politics and everything that really matters, not changing medical and health services. They see it as doing something so they can take photos and pictures and create hashtags on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The stuff that's the least important thing that's what older people are doing, and they're teaching that to younger people. Nothing effective is happening. You think that you're doing a battle rap, but like Rockem will tell you, remember Goat Rockem, my yes, favorite goat. MC? Yes, the Goat. You know, that's, that's you know, I got all the t-shirts and sweatshirts, Rockem. That's right. You don't want to be one of them. That's it. You don't want to be one of them seven. Don't be one of the seven. Right. Like Goat will tell you, like when other MCs try to battle with him, he had to let them have a moment because he know that he's the GOAT. You know what I'm saying? Why battle every MC when they apparently lack the knowledge and skills? So I just want our people to understand that if you're doing something to get clout, especially on social media, these people that you're trying to get clout from are not going to bail you out of jail. They're not going to do mm. anything to help you that mm. you've tried to um, get clout for doing. And you're not succeeding anything in terms of lasting effects for black people. So I want our people to always understand the difference. Well, okay, you, let me be quiet. Well, you, <laughs> well, you know, we grew up in this, um, these Western, which is another word for white cultures. And what we have, what we take from this is what they give us. Because generally at the bottom, you take the scraps. And this is what it is. 
And I've been doing a lot of deep dives into social media recently. You know, I was talking to you about that app that I that I saw, and I see a lot of people on this app. And the one thing about it is that a lot of it is about self-promotion and basically putting yourself above. It's the plantation in a radio form and in a media form. So where that where the contradiction comes in is that, you know, anyone at any point in time can say that can accuse me of the same thing. You know, that what I'm trying to do is get attention. What I'm trying to do is really get ears and all of this other different stuff. But I can tell you like my social media package is like probably like nothing compared to what other people do, which is why I'm always interested whenever I get invited to the one of these apps because the one thing I wanted the show to be is generic. Um, generic to the point where we can come here and we can say whatever we want to say and talk about whatever discussions and topics, whatever we can say freely. And don't worry about it. Whether or not I gain 50 sponsors or I lose 50 sponsors, the show's still going to go on. You know, this shit is hip-hop, for real. You know, the real in, your, in the back digging in your crate shit. Where nobody, if nobody's listening to this motherfucker, we still gonna be rocking. Somebody's gonna be DJing. And if I gotta spit, then I'll spit. And somebody else, we're gonna pass the mic. We're gonna keep passing the mic. So that's what it is. But this is the message. But we can do this because of the fact of where we come from. And we come from a, we come from a place where we actually saw that. And we were at the birth of that, of that whole movement. And what people don't understand about that movement today is because today it's all about getting the chains and getting like, you know, getting the money and getting the Instagram girls and all this other stuff. And like, you know, I'm 50 something. I don't know if I could keep up with one of them, but and nor would I want to, you know, at this point in time. So it's not really it's not really a big thing for me. I'm, I'm trying not to. I'm trying right. not to. But like, you know, when we. Yeah. But the whole thing about about the speech is that we speak this and we bring these truths and we have these conversations without bias is basically the reason why I'm bringing that up. And I know a lot of people do do this in order to get um, those things. And I can't knock them. I can't knock them because, like, you know, I'm just like a different cat. I do four or five different things during the course of a day. You know, and mm-hmm. and it's just like, I just want you to get to know if you get to know me, if it worked out and I, that were to happen to me, I'm not saying I would not like take them take money to do this, but it's not really a big thing with me. But one of the mm-hmm. reasons why it's not a, what my opinion is, is and why it's not popular is because of um, when we were talking the other day about people like cutting, cutting you off and trying to come forward and everything, you know, and just trying to um, make their point. And young people who generally don't listen, they're a product of that Western culture and that civilization. And we're the ones who basically expose them to it. Not you, Doc, because, but, you know, me. We exposed our kids to this. But when we expose them to these mm-hmm. things, we have to expose them to them with an understanding and almost with caveats, that it is entertainment and this is what it is. How do you go about reaching people and explaining to them that there's more to there's more to the world than just the, or to like their existence than just like making money or making a name for yourself and things of that nature. It's like how do they get to how do they get to the point where the real life things that really matter? Education, educating your kids and teaching them their understanding of who they are. 
How do we get to that point? Because it's very difficult. And I'm going to give yeah. you, I did have one thought, but I wanted to share this with you. Like, as far as like colorism is concerned mm-hmm. and about us like fighting each other, like mm-hmm. my daughter just had a situation where she started a, a new job in Georgia and she's mm-hmm. light skinned, very light skinned. Mm-hmm. And many of the people in the, in the place were giving her problems because she's light skinned, but she's on point with what she does. She's mm-hmm. always on point with what she does because that's my daughter. And um, she came, she was calling me and she was kind of upset about the fact that, you know, they're making these comments and everything. And I just told her what my grandmother always used to tell me. I'm like, I always remind her of the same thing. You know what they call a light skinned Negro down in the South? And she said, nigger. So we're all in this together in that aspect where you can all get lumped together. But how do we stop? How do we stop this? Like these violent actions towards each other? Like now it's fine. Everything is cool right now. But how do we stop this? Mm -hmm. Like these people from people from like, you know, dividing ourselves. Why do we have to divide ourselves before we even before we go out into the world and face everything? Because I didn't grow up like that. I don't understand. I, I, you know, I, that turns my stomach. It turns my stomach when people say stuff about dark skin people. It turns my stomach when people say stuff about light skin people. To me, it's just, it's just all fucking ignorance. And I, you know, the curses well, always come out when I'm maddest. Go ahead. Of course. So just, just something that you said about five minutes ago. Remember, we all have bias. We all have assumptions. We all have prejudice. And with the work that I do to address racial justice, gender justice, sexuality justice, and disability justice, I never go based on bias. I don't believe in bias trainings and all that stuff because you are pretending you're changing people's thoughts and minds. The outcome is the same. People just learn how to smile more. Mm-hmm. And that le- that means absolutely nothing to humans for thousands of years. So I don't believe in bias trainings and all that other nonsense. That makes a lot of money. It makes a lot of money because guess what? White people are going to love you to waste time. That's why they're going to pay you Mm. to waste time. Because you're not actually a threat to the power structure when you're teaching that and you're doing that. The people that that. Bias trainings are very common for police departments, for medical and health organizations and facilities, and for schools. The three groups that control our lives the most and end our lives the most are the ones who pay for the most bias trainings. Mm. There's always a connection there. So I always tell people, if your career, your money is based on bias trainings, don't tell me that because I'm not an actress, so I'm going to let you know. No sellouts. So in terms of what we can do, this is five centuries of constant discussions Mm -hmm. because when we're talking about our people, there's this falsehood that we all have to have the same beliefs. We all have to have the same life decisions. We all have to have the same identities in addition to blackness. And if you have different identities, you now got to downplay those identities, including when that identity is being abused by your own people, because people will tell you the focus is blackness. It does not matter if we're beating you down as a woman. It doesn't matter if we're beating you down because you're gay. It does not matter if we're beating you down because you have a disability. It doesn't matter if we're laughing at you because you're black and suicidal. All that matters is you're black. So I want black people to know, first and foremost, before Kimberly Crenshaw presented the amazing intersectionality theory in the 1980s, we had Du Bois, Ida B. Wells, all these under wonderful Black scholars, Dr. Angela Davis, all these people, including our people in the communities who are not well known, 
who have always talked about how our identities coexist. Mm. And we and having to silence another identity that's often silenced is also indicative of domestic violence, mm. child mm. molestation, like all these things that happen in our families and communities. And it was not created by white people. It's a tell black folk this. That was not introduced to us through colonialism and slave trade. Humans have done these things for thousands of years. Yes. So, so, you know, Pan-African, Black power, Black pride does not require pretending we were butt naked on a river being wholly perfect until a white man showed up and mm-hmm. a white woman along with him. That's just falsehood. It's, it's, right? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No. So I just I just always have to highlight that. And you notice I had to say white women because white women are 50-50 with white men for five centuries. Right. Um, never pretend otherwise. But it's just that's the blindness. There's two different sides of the miseducation of the Negro, right? Mm, let's get into it. It's two different sides because one side is with white people. And there's also, you know, medical racism and so forth when you're looking at particular Asian cultures, which is something that is a constant battle as well. That's the um, institutional. Those are the institutional right, aspects. It, right, because there are different Asian nations that will address how they've been colonized by other Asian nations. And that's part of the the European white colonialism that requires you to be brainwashed to colonize you know, colonize other people. So all of this just goes together. And so to address how to dismantle this, we have to understand different forms of falsehoods. There's white people's falsehoods that are in every single school around the world. And that includes when you are taught that white people are the main mathematicians, the main statisticians, the main historians, the main musicians, all those things that that's even existing on every continent where there are no white people present. Because remember, mm-hmm. white people are 11% of the world about. Mm-hmm. And so the other side of that, though, is Black groups that pretend pro-Black means Black lies. Or a Black in a certain manner. It's only an acceptable, th- mm-hmm. like there's one acceptable form of Blackness. Yes. You know. Well, they call it traditionalism, right? And that's why Black people are very conservative because it's like that very old school, traditional, hold on to this. It's connected to religions as well, but not only religions. But it's based on this falsehood. And there are entire conferences that take place where Black people express that falsehood to each other. I used to show mm. that to my students on YouTube. And they're teaching falsehoods. They're teaching that we were awesome until white people showed up, until that ship came right, there. Right. And so, and so I always tell our people, we have to understand different forms of falsehoods because the other falsehood is created because they think that telling black people lies is the only way to build blackness right. and to build unity and confidence. And that's just not, we're an intelligent people. We're knowledgeable. We can learn daily for the rest of our lives. You don't have to talk down to us with bull stuff right. to, to counter mm-hmm. the other side. Yeah, we had we had the conversation mm-hmm. about that the other day that, like, you know, I had went on these different places yes. and they said, if you want to speak to black people, ha, you want to speak to them, you want them yes. to hear you, ha, yes. you got to speak to them yes. like a preacher. So that way they understand yes. what you're talking about. Yes. And I'm not into that. 
I'm not feeling it. No. I talk the way that I talk no. because that's what I that's what I am. The difference being is that mm-hmm. just like any like most people, you have there's a there's a brain there's a brain term that they have for it that when you're in different surroundings, you adapt to that tongue. So you may mm-hmm. pick up these things naturally and everything. And that might that yeah. probably is a bigger part of like me, but this is just me. What yeah. you described just now though, with everything that you said, the first thing that jumped out at me is that what you're describing, it's such a personal attack on the individual's liberty. And I know that speaking mm-hmm. of liberty, going to a different things, they talk about it differently than what I'm, the, what I'm about to ascribe it mm-hmm. to. And when I say mm-hmm. it's an attack on your personal liberty is that we don't allow each other to grow up the way or to grow and be the person's the best versions of who we have to be. If someone is mm-hmm. outside of that form right now, then we're the first ones to point the finger and say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? But that's not where any any group, you know, that's not where any groups, the greatness doesn't come out of sameness. The greatness comes out of the individual who decides to walk his own way and walk in a separate way. And then everybody else will come and follow that person. And then they'll be pointing at those other people and it changes up, Mm -hmm. you know? So we have to figure out, well, we don't have to figure out like, we need. We already know where in this culture where changes started going towards that directly affected and moved us, and that was pretty much, to me, in my opinion, the Civil Rights Acts right of 1964, mm-hmm. which had a lot of good things to it. Had a lot of good things as far as like equality and possible safety in the future and things of that nature, but. The general answer at the end of that is that we have become integrated and broken up and kind of diluted amongst the population of this country. And Mm -hmm. if you don't have a strong base of who you are before that, then you're just going to raise what you raise. You're you're born into this Western civilization of culture and the idea of who it is. The reason why I always say that the reason why I came out the way that I came out is because of things that I was told as a child, you know, black is beautiful. You are beautiful. You are capable. You are able to do these things. It never crossed my mind. It really took me into a, I got later in my development as a as a human, probably around 18, 19, 20 years old, when I started to even doubt these things. You know, I didn't even mm-hmm. think that white people were so much of a threat to me. Because where I was, the way that we came up and the type of environment that I was in, I could hurt them as much as they could hurt me. You know, mm-hmm. physically. I didn't understand that I didn't understand these cultural things. I didn't understand systemic racism. I didn't know what it was. I really didn't. I was walking in this Most world people don't. And most people don't. Most people and that's why I tell people don't don't use systemic, systematic, institutional, structural those concepts that people see all over the place that they've memorized from writings and stuff, I tell people, explain exactly what you're talking about. Right. And a lot of people cannot do that because they've been taught to regurgitate what they learned in a class or they read somewhere or they saw something now, you know, in the past, what, 20 years now with the social media, mm-hmm. they don't understand. And equity and justice cannot happen if it's based in ignorance. Yes. And, you know, of course, James Baldwin is one of the many black scholars who have addressed that the, the issue of power and ignorance. What does it mean? Because that's that's also where we have some black groups that have gone based on 
forming collectives of confused Black people who they know will not ask questions. They will mm. just follow behind whatever you tell them is fact. Mm. They won't be able to explain on their own, but they'll follow it behind. And I tell Black people, that side is the same kind of problem as when white people have done that for five centuries, because it's all based on you not having freedom. You, you don't have freedom of expression, because if you say something, the other Black folk who are part of that group are going to come at you. Remember what happened to Malcolm X, right? Mm-hmm. So... It's the same idea. Our freedom does not have to be based on being told to be ignorant of Black knowledge. Mm. It doesn't have to happen whether it's white people telling us, other non-Black people telling us, and it doesn't have to happen when it's Black people telling us. Like I tell Black students and Black people in the community, you can support Black freedom. You can join a spirituality group, a religious group, an identity just like I, I'm Pan-African, the work that I do is about reparations for those of us who are on this USA land for centuries because we were stolen. Yeah. But my reparations is more than just saying, give us this money. I refuse to take a check, but then you white people want me to take the check without changing schools. Right. Like I'm not taking that check to the bank while you are still killing us in mental health programs, mm. in suicide prevention efforts, and physical health. That's the white people's scheme. They will eventually possibly say, okay, Negroes, here's some reparations with the expectation, which happens for every political party, mm. with the expectation that now Black people will be happy. Mm. Right? Like, we're going to put Harriet Tubman as a stamp. We're going to give you this Negro holiday. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Juneteenth federal holiday, which means absolutely nothing. Nothing. These Absolutely. These are absolutely nothing. Worst fucking holiday ever. So that's why I tell black people, you have to multitask because white people and anti-black people in general, they consider us dumb. Yes. And that's white liberals, white progressives, they consider us dumb. They consider us to need saviors who don't, because they think that we don't know anything, despite us, again, coming from knowledge foundation. Mm Mm-hmm. They well, think we're just desperate to be told yes. Well, they've been taught that they've been taught and we follow the programming like almost down to a T with almost um barely a whimper of like, you know, of understanding or pushback that we would want to understand. Juneteenth is something that that just really the fact that they would even that's the biggest fucking insulting holiday in the history of all holidays. You're celebrating black slaves finding out that they were free years ago you're excusing the behavior of white men who continued to profit off of them for free white so, women as well white women as white well women. well i mm-hmm. yeah it's yep yeah, they're all it's all baked in the pie and um what you're doing is you're saying that it was okay what they did because these people came to a revelation years later not to mention the fact that these are this is only one place in the country there are other places that even after Juneteenth, slavery continued for those people in that county, in that area, mm-hmm. in that region. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, and those people, the descendants of those peoples, they probably have a very good laugh at Juneteenth because they're probably like, it would take a couple of years more before we could actually have yeah. a Juneteenth at, at holiday in this area. You know, Juneteenth would be a different well- thing. Yeah, I mean, I celebrate Juneteenth. I used to be part of the the medical committee for Juneteenth in North Carolina, where we would do 
uh, medical vendors and other sources for Black people to come in. But celebrating Juneteenth needs to understand how slavery still exists in 2021. It takes just different forms. Mm. And because remember, the foundation of policing in Western Hemisphere and parts of the world after Emancipation Proclamation, of course, we talk about Britain, Canadian emancipation happening before this stolen land that became USA. The police, before they had uniforms, they were white people. And I say people because I never want people to pretend that white women were asleep and they just woke up and they were like, where are white men at? Why are y'all chasing after these black people? These white women knew. Um, and they requested that we be chased. So that's the foundation of policing used to control us. That's also why I have to remind Black people to stop celebrating Abraham Lincoln. Like the fact that Black people celebrate, like you'll sometimes see statues of Black, of photos of Black people hugging Abraham Lincoln statues and thanking him. Uh, you'll see images of Black people claiming that Abraham Lincoln was Black. I've seen images of black people putting an afro on Abraham Lincoln saying he was actually black. Look at this photo. I always say when black people do this, it's an example of why white people of all political parties and all political affiliations think that we are not an intelligent people. Well, Abraham Lincoln was the leader of the Republican Party at that point in time. And, um, you know, as we've seen, as we all know, or those of us who who have studied politics and understand politics, the Republican Party kind of switched their whole ideology in the 60s over the Civil Rights Act, um, where a lot of mm-hmm. white Democrats and or, um, Republicans couldn't support. So you have that big flip-flop there. And one thing, my, my question is, like, for you is that, you know, being that police are, police are basically derived from overseers, you know, officer, overseers. Our political parties today... I hear this one. Yes, yes, yes. Overseer, overseer. Anyway, I can't get down like that. But um, our political parties are effectively the overseers of this country. And with that, with their origins, you know, with the origins of the word overseer to officer, mm-hmm. what does that say about politics in this country right now? So politics... And, you know, global politics, because, you know, as black people who are centuries on this land in USA have to understand how it connects to the world. Like anyone who still pretends that we are separate from all of that have been lost as well. So uh, so politics is the foundation. Like if you look at old photos of black men being allowed to be in Congress, black men being allowed to be in universities, it's still that European brainwashing because now they had to change their attire, change their hair, adding the chemicals to the hair, right? To, right. to look as white as possible. Um, I mean, sports. Right. Right. It's, like, you know, it's all like, about blending. It's all about well, it's yeah. making them, it's all about making them comfortable at that point in time. And anything How they did their hair. Uncom- yeah. And anything that makes you uncomfortable is different. So when we talk about political systems, you talk about communism Mm -hmm. against what we consider to be freedom in this country. Mm -hmm. I did the air quotes with the freedom right now so you can understand Mm -hmm. democracy. The parallels are stark in the most important ways in which that communist thought is we are all one people. 
you think in one particular way, or I shouldn't say, or I should say the ideology that brings people together behind communism Mm -hmm. is that. And it's the same thing here with what they're doing with us, except for with little twist. We've got this political party system where you could be Democratic, you could be Republican, or you could even be a libertarian and libertarians, or you could be something different, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But basically, isn't it all the same side of the same side of the same coin? They're all the same. I mean, I had this back and forth with a libertarian white man who it's the same routine. I, I had to just tell him, you're the same as the rest of them. And the fact that they pretend to not be the same is that same hoodwinked, bamboozled, let astray jargon. Like, like we go based on facts. I'm not going to ever go based on, and the same thing will happen election time. I tell Black people, focus on local election, elections. If you want to focus on national elections, okay, but don't go based on people just telling you to do something just because you're Black and yelling at you about vote or die. Um, again, that's the same condescension, even if it comes from Black people, because they assume that we're dumb and we just need to be told what to do. And if we try to think, people are like, don't think. No, 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 don't do that. <laughs> right? Right, right. Not for yourself. Right? Not for yourself. Right. So that's the same thing. So like when we talk about um, the standard of Black freedom, of course, originally was based on how Black men compare to white men. And, you know, there's like a century of Black writings about this. What it meant when, and you can talk about like even W.B. Du Bois and them, what it meant where you could be very, pan, I mean, because Du Bois and them Pan-African still, but it was still Pan-Africanism within the context of still adopting European style of dress. Because mm. remember the continent of Africa. The big, yeah, the big... Yeah, like our people who are still in the continent of Africa and elsewhere who refused to become too European, including in the court of law, wearing those lice wigs, um, people who refused, they were punished, right? Which mm. is why we talk about poverty, including mm. in Haiti and around the world. It's like, okay, you don't want us here? Well, then you're going to suffer the rest of your life. So you can see this shift. You can see, I mean, even Marcus Garvey, right? He never went back to the continent of Africa, but he was telling our people on the Western Hemisphere about Pan-Africanism. And he, you know, Du Bois criticized Marcus Garvey a lot, but but it's that same thing. It it was freedom for our people, but it still was within the context sometimes of seeming white enough on the white man's side for them. Right. And some of these brothers were getting some white women because the right. idea of freedom, you know, and you can quote some black freedom writers from the 60s who talked about the power of getting white women. So so that's one of the difficulties also as Black women and Black gender non-identifying people who are pan-African, pro-Black, however people want to define it, right? DQ presents... Picture this. You stand before the awe-inspiring new signature stack burger menu at DQ and your mouth wonders, where have you been all my life? That's five taste bud tempting cheeseburgers with 100% real seasoned beef. You peek at the loaded A1 stack burger with two premium sauces. Then the flamethrower stack burger with tongue tingling jalapeno bacon. Then you realize moments like these are exactly why we have the DQ signature stack burger menu. DQ. Happy tastes good. Get it delivered at DQ.com. There's some things that we understand about our people's freedom that have come within the context and each other to advance our people. Mm. Very interesting. Very interesting. In the context of, in the context of um, libertarians, going back to them, um, yeah. 
I've got a I've got a guy who's always anytime you say the word libertarian when this episode goes up, he's going to hit me up and say, "Why don't you just bring me on the show so that way I can, you know, make my point, you know, so that way I can make my point." They don't have a point. Well, it's very difficult to get that to get that across to him because he doesn't uh-huh. understand that the that the world is like it just pretty much is what it is. Their whole their whole argument about um, self sufficiency and things like that. It won't hold weight past like 24 hours at the end of the Republic. So whatever, whatever they feel, whatever he feels it is, it's like, I feel it's something different and it's just not a conversation or a debate that I'm interested in having. What I am interested in in discussing is like, as far as political, political parties are concerned and voting Mm -hmm. is concerned is Mm -hmm. voting your interest. And Mm -hmm. Along the lines of the Ahmad Arbery verdict and the yeah. other verdict, the Rittenhouse verdict that came in the other day, which fell pretty much exactly the way that I thought that they were both going to fall. Mm-hmm. The thought process was that certain people were feeling like they might feel empowered that Donald Trump could come back into office. It seems like um, more and more of a different reality every day or whatever. My thought process with it is this. When you vote for a president, you, know, you vote for hopefully that things will get better. You vote for your own interest, your economic interest, whatever the situation is. But at the end of the day, you really just vote for your for your best interest. And to me, like a vote against him was a vote for my safety, for the safety of possibly my son. Not much, because like you say, you're not going to change the bias. You're not going to change the actions completely and totally. But you may stop a couple of people from going completely and totally ham. Hmm. You still have to protect yourself. You're always going to have to defend yourself. It doesn't mean that anything is going to change, that this is going to, that, that who knows? You know, these white people might decide that it's time to basically chuck it all and go for it. You know? And, and not just the white people, but their tokens who have, you know, white people have five centuries of tokens as well, right? Yeah. And that includes in politics. So for me, I I don't listen to anti-Trump rhetoric just like I don't listen to pro-Trump rhetoric because anti-Trump rhetoric wastes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy from Black people because white liberals, white progressives, white anti-fascists, white libertarians really want Black people to pretend that Trump created something new in 2016. And he didn't. I always- well, he... He, he did the groundwork of what white people have done five centuries. They And they, they will distract entire, like, 2016, my white colleagues started hosting professional conferences where they made anti-Trump a theme. And I told these white people, I am not paying money for these memberships if that's going to be white liberal rhetoric so that now we, we want to get clout so we can pretend that white liberals don't have five centuries. Like... Just like when we talk about white slave abolitionists, they were very helpful, there but pl- that does not mean... There are places where they meet. There are, there are places yeah. where they meet and they agree. And one of those yes. places is that there is a glass ceiling where they feel like uh, black people should not raise above. Don't step out of yeah. your station. I remember... Yes. I remember back in the '90s, and like you know, I'm gonna make my only like music reference when we when I was running with these cats, and we'd be going into these venues, and we'd be going in with all this attention, and 
the thing that didn't strike me was like all the black people cheering and all the fans, the rap fans that were around those people and that were cheering at the time. What always struck me was the looks on the white people's faces that happened to be in the area, whether they be rich, whether it be the police officers that were there watching the events, whether it be, it was always a look of disdain. Like, you know, like we got to stop this shit like right now. Like, and I didn't see how it could possibly stop the roll downhill. A lot of people don't understand um, where we were in the 90s as opposed to where we are now. And the reason why I mention that and one of the reasons why I do the show to mention and bring that stuff up is it's not just like, you know, hip hop and culture. It's just it's not just that there were actual inroads being made. Hey, Eddie Murphy made a movie, you know, about, you know, about the black proletariat, which is basically a group of black people that do exist. You know that very well. You know, that these, they're probably, they're upper middle class black people that have been here for generations and done X, Y, and Z. They have different organizations and groups. And this was like a movie that they made that they brought out here and to everyone. And you had all these television shows and you had all this media and you had all these different places. But we know now that behind the scenes that there was a glass ceiling for the people that were producing those movies or or those shows. And a lot of those people that were producing those shows were actually white people and they were white explaining what blackness was to us. And to the point now where we have this great big, where we've had this thing and now you've got the pushback where... Now, if you're not a member of that group, it's like you're almost not allowed to participate in that art. Is the art and culture that important as opposed to the finance? Um, is the art and culture as important as reparations? You know, where are reparations? Where do reparations come in with art, culture, finance, and building you up as an individual in this country? Is there right. some type of um, economic value to that? Is there some way we can put a price tag on that? So, and it's interesting you say that. So, so when we think about the black bourgeoisie, which is centuries, which includes black people who come from enslavement. It includes black people who might've owned slaves, most often their own family members. They prefer to have that form of ownership than have their family members owned by white people. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you say black black proletariat, I also think of the black bourgeoisie. So the new show, Our Kind of People, starring Yaya mm-hmm. and okay. Morris Chestnut and all right, right. So it's based on the book, Lawrence Otis Graham, right? He passed away years ago. And when I was still in undergrad, I want to say it was 1996 or so, Lawrence Otis Graham came and did a presentation about Our Kind of People at University of Richmond when I was undergrad. Okay. So we got to meet him. And somebody stole my book to say, black person. (laughs) (laughs) I will just say it's gone. Um, But I will just say one thing about the book. I would not say it was a good book because like, even with Dr. Du Bois, I'm a Du Bois scholar. I don't agree with talented 10th. I consider that Mm. to be, I don't believe in ranking our people like that. Um, However, it is important to address socioeconomic divisions that happen. And to understand why our people who are impoverished, and this doesn't mean necessarily centuries of impoverishment, right? Because poverty fluctuates. Especially in the Black community, where it's so easily lost. Especially in the Black community. especially Broken Black families. So you can have Black family members who are middle class. You can have Black family members who are struggling. uh, Black homeless people. 
many of whom have impoverished family, but many of whom also might have some middle upper class family who they're searching for that person. So that's just another thing where we're understanding the economic foundation of Black folk. There's this tendency to want to, and there's generations of research by Black scholars who address the Black middle class, still living paycheck to paycheck and not having excelled and again, unfortunately, white middle class are the comparative sample too often, but that's usually what they'll say is that black middle class are still relative in that sense and are still living paycheck to paycheck as are most middle class people anyway. Right. And so, so when we're talking about black USA reparations, we want to understand it cannot be based on income level. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to ever gauge those of us who are descendants of centuries of slavery on this land that became USA to be told, like, this is a federal student loan or something, like, right? Because, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, as Black folk who who built this space, right. not, you know, we non-consensually built it for free. I've, I don't think we should be paying taxes in the first place. Mm. So um, get behind that. Yeah, I don't think we should like. Why am I paying taxes? Like that just doesn't make sense. Right. Like even student loans, like this doesn't make sense. So, so I just want our people to understand when we're talking about reparations, we really got to expand how we understand reparations. Never use government meaning of reparations. Never compare to when we're talking about the. Remember, this land, since thousands of years of various indigenous cultures, mm-hmm. right? Right. Like hundreds of thousands of indigenous cultures, many of whom have been murdered, many of whom are African indigenous, many of whom identify as white as well, right? Mm-hmm. When they are given, and when I say given, it's quotation marks because it's not a handout. This is more than deserved because it's stolen land and killed people. It's It's earned. And today is Native American Heritage Day. And I don't say the phrase Native American because I don't think you should be a native of the land stolen from you and turned into America. Mm -hmm. I say instead indigenous, right? Right. But within that context, it's not necessarily income-based. The government's not going to be like, oh, indigenous people, you have a job, therefore you can't get. Instead... It's based on you are indigenous, right? Right. Just like schools, colleges and universities used to have where you could have, you could bring in your indigenous card and you had tuition reduction, um, certain financial aid assistance. I worked for financial aid offices for two universities and then a lot of schools stopped doing that for whatever reasons. Black people never got that, which is why black people are understandably bothered because we're like, wait a second. Right. Like affirmative action, even has mostly benefited white women. So yeah, I look at things from a different from a different perspective. Being that with the pandemic and a lot of the things that have gone on, we're seeing um, a lot of different or new or I guess I, the word is really uncertainty with what the economic system and what the market's going to be like right now. I think that there are things that are moving behind us that we that the general layperson doesn't really get a piece of. And, um, but so it's like, and on one hand, I wonder sometimes what is the actual value 
and aspiring or looking for things or even trying to set up a, a foothold in a system that is probably crumbling as we speak right now. And when we talk about reparations in the community, I think reparations should be doled out, but I think I always think about it in terms of education and housing, um, you know, low-income housing, um, being able to make purchases, low-income loans that will allow you to purchase property, things of that nature. Because to me, it's not just a matter of what this country owes to the slaves. It's just very simple. It's like, I'll, I'll break it down in a very strange way. Probably most people don't think about it. If you're a father or if you're a mother and you have a child and they don't live with you, you pay child support, right? If you're a child, if you're a um, survivor of slavery, there's a very good chance that somewhere along the line, your white daddy didn't take responsibility for paying for you. White people are the biggest deadbeat daddies in the history of the world. Okay? Because they had these children. They didn't pay for them. They still are trying to refuse to pay for them. And reparations to me... But going into it, going into it even further, I don't understand what I'm kind of confused like myself personally. And this is really this is something very personal with me. I'm confused as to what the value of the system is right now. I'm not sure that there is much value in the system. I'm not sure that there's much value in reparations right now. I really don't. I know. Some I'm going to slam you. I want to throw you Please against do. the wall right no, I mean, please do, because it's like it's not as if I'm not saying that I'm not saying that the that the um, that the quest for reparations should be like stopped or foregone or it's ridiculous or anything of that. Not along nothing along those na- along that nature. What I'm thinking is that with this economic system that we're living in now, which is really very much like very much so um, reminiscent and mirroring the biggest communist regime in the country, in the world, which is China. And um, I just don't, I don't see much freedom. I don't see much freedom. I don't. So I'm just going to be honest. I don't care about the economic system as an excuse for not having black reparations. White people have five centuries of excuses. I don't Economic think Trade problems. Uh, Their phone don't work no more. Call me at the other line. Like whatever white people say at any given moment is going to be an excuse. And that's literally going to be excused the rest of our lives. Uh, Racial hate crimes are the most prevalent hate crimes for generations since they started collecting this data. White people are the majority of offenders and black people are the majority of victims. And this is every part of our lives. And if they started using like medical health data, that would increase that. If they started using what white people do in, in schools, including SROs, that would increase as well. So I understand completely what you're saying. But here's the thing. White people have enough excuses. I just ask black folk, don't give white people excuses. If the issue is economics and these white people need to take their trillions of dollars and instead of and terrorizing the world and also terrorizing locally because these white folk and they mm. told them they don't lose a paycheck. Mm. That's the truth. When we tell them to change schools, to change libraries, to change medical and health programs, to change workforce development programs, to remove the prevalence of police and to put the funds into our communities, mm-hmm. 
When we tell them to remove the prevalence of the court system, the penal system, they pretend that they are broke. But America can't do that. You can't claim to be this wealthiest nation in the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't use like world ranking because that's all white terrorism. Yeah. First world, second world, that's white terrorism. Yeah, because we're second right now anyway. We're no longer first. So Yeah, the ranking don't matter. Those are all used to distract us. Like I tell people, there's no such thing as first world, second world, third world. There's no such thing as powerful nation. Those are all categorizations created by white people for the purpose of... It's another form of when racial categories were created to put thousands of years of people into these categories so we know who to control and how to control them, right? Mm -hmm. Force them into a certain language, force them into certain versions of religions, force them into a court system that's very European, Mm -hmm. force them into schools. And this is literally every school around the world, including when European white-based schools will say, we're going to do study abroad, that kind of thing. It's white people stuff. Mm-hmm. So therefore, our knowledges are made into a special topics or an, you know, an extra course, mm-hmm. but we're not the main topic. So, so when we talk, when I talk about Black USA reparations as Pan African, I believe that our people should have a reparations around the world. But Pan Africanism is about focusing on our families, our communities, our cities, our states, building that strength. And then we can spread our strength together around the world. That's what Pan-Africanism is. Mm. It's never telling Black people in USA, yeah, like Black people in USA, we're never going to say, we don't need reparations. We need help for Haitians. No, it's literally all of us building this mm-hmm. and then we're building it together. So mm. I always have to tell people, our people are so brainwashed, they're not even schooled to what Pan-Africanism means. Like, the, the historical foundation and what it currently means has different meanings for some people, but I want people to know if you're going to form a different meaning, you still got to learn how it started. Mm-hmm. It never told Black people on this stolen land that became USA to ignore the cultures we've been forced to create for centuries and then only get a dashiki and then ignore the struggles here so that you could learn about our people in the continent of Africa. Mm, yes, and yes. then it's, it's not about it's, it's also about, Pan-Africanism is also about dismantling the anti-Blackness on the continent of Africa, because that's what colonialism and enslavement means. It's telling Black people everywhere around the world that you are superior to the other Black people, which is why you are being welcomed by white people. So mm-hmm. that's our people on the continent of Africa, right. which adds colorism to it, this notion of lighter shade of Blackness, anything mm-hmm. to prove that you are worth it to stay alive so black so white people won't kill you and mm-hmm. white people will hire you white people bring you and so that's what I'm I tell we don't have to be anti-africa you don't have to be anti-black white people want you to not know how to multitask yes and that includes when we're talking about reparations we can address economic struggles in this nation while also admitting that these white people know how to pay their bills well you know you talk about yes I gotta give you a payday bills. Be quiet, but that would payday bills. You know, when we talk about Africanism, you talk about Pan Africanism. We talk about these like large groups. Um, China has, you know, taken a large chunk of um, Africa, African um, commerce, and they're doing it in a different way. And only time is going to tell what that's going to bear out. 
the United States is, has always had its hand in like those financial things. It's just, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting old and I'm getting ridiculous right now and I'm getting ridiculous at this age, but I really see less and less value in dollars. Now, as far as like what you're saying about reparations, those dollars are definitely necessary. I'm not talking about those dollars. We need those dollars. We need the, that transformation. The thought process is what I'm more interested in is what is that transformation going to be? And how can we start that before the dollars actually even start coming in? And that's really what we're all about. I think homeschooling is a good thing. I've actually, I actually think that um, the, what is it, the, the types of schools that they have, um, you know, Puffy has the school and LeBron has the school, has the charter schools. And charter schools, those are well, lame. Yeah, you say you say that because like you say that because the application of what's going on, and that's what I was going to get into. The way that they actually apply these these um, the teaching and the education that they're giving in these charter schools sometimes, and some of the things that are going on behind the scenes are not what they should be. But I don't think that it's when it, I think that it's a case with um, charter schools where you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We know that charter schools um, benefit rich whites a lot of times, a lot more than they, or the thought process of privatization actually um, has benefited them and that, that policy more than us. But I just think that there is actually something there. Do you disagree? I disagree for five centuries. Thanks for asking. Okay. So when we talk about private schools and charter schools, we have to understand that it is a the same method of tokenism. If you're talking specifically, so my brothers and I have three brothers and all four of us, we're products of predominantly black K through 12, Richmond public schools, Richmond VA, two up, two down. Mm-hmm. So the charter school, John B. Carey Elementary School, that was a charter school back in the 80s, 70s and 80s. And I think there was two charter schools. Fisher was another elementary school. And even in those charter schools, guess what they taught us? They taught us everything about white folk. Mm. See, but right? when you right, but when you have a charter school, though, you can actually set your own curriculum, uh-uh. can't you? No. To a certain extent. So, le- so let me explain. So let me explain this. So if it wasn't for my parents, who required my brothers and me to learn black knowledge that's not based on what's taught in schools? My parents taught, my parents kept us in the public schools so that they could challenge what was being taught to black children, mm-hmm. including when we had black principals and stuff. They were mm. still teaching the same white people stuff. So well, we can't all do that, but well, you know, I, just, I came from a time where I got to sometimes argue with folks and. It's just so like when we would come home, we had to watch Tony Brown's journal. Shout out to Tony Brown's journal. You can go to the Tony Brown website mm-hmm. and purchase membership so that you can find all of his work. So even far back to the 1980s, where he was among the first black journalists to talk to us about what it means to get um, chemicals in our hair and all that stuff. So anyway, so I say all that because I don't want these wealthy black people to pretend that charter schools are changing anything. Why aren't they changing anything? Because it's the same accreditation process for schools. Okay. It's the same libraries. Okay. It's the same treating Black people like we're special topics. Okay. Or we are um, 
instead of us being a required course, we are considered a course that you can choose to take if you really want to learn more. Like it's literally the same thing that happens at charter schools. And I don't care what Puffy and LeBron James and them say, if they really wanted to care, they would put that money, resources, and outrage into these public schools. Okay. Because when you when you tell white people that we're just going to depart and create our own, that's leaving behind black folk in particular, but all people, but black folk in particular. Like my parents, they did not want to leave the other children behind because you are not dismantling white people's curriculum. Okay, so let me pick up on that. Let me because let me hit you on that. We have entire textbooks showing African mathematics. White people see that as a special topic. So, and that's the same thing that LeBron James and I'm going to do. I'm me, trying let, to tell you. No, that. I, I got you. I I I want to hit you on. The, I want to hit you with this question because we're running. We're about to like. We're about to hit our time already because. Time just flies when I'm speaking with you. Time just flies. Now, you said, how do we take, how do you take, like, you said that it was a waste or it was like, or you don't see the, I'm not going to say it's a waste because we only got your, have your opinion here, but you don't see that as that as being the best way of actually putting money in it. How would someone like LeBron James, or let's just say like, you know, let's not even say, let's just say Jeff Bezos, Okay. You want to be a white, you want to be a white, because I'm going to the deepest pockets. I don't care what color, nobody cares what color the, color the money is. It's better be green or whatever, as long as it goes through. How do, how do you invest in the public, in the public um, education system and make those dollars work? How do you do that? and make those dollars work as a layperson. You want to go and you want to invest to a school. You want to give a donation to a school district, New York City School District. You want to go up in Harlem, and you want to you want to invest in that school district. How do you do that and make that effective? I want, your, I want to know how you do that because I know you know. Well, this is not a new concept. Black people for centuries have demanded from schools, have protested, have boycotted schools, medical and health facilities and police. Like I always tell people, when people say, well, let's write this and give this to the police department in the school. Black folk have done this for centuries and that stuff ends up in somebody's basement or even worse, people will steal black people's knowledge and get paid a whole lot of money to propose changes. Mm. The changes don't happen, but the people who steal black people's knowledge get paid for the knowledge that black people's introduced to police departments mm. and to yes. schools. So black people have literally, we've repeated the same dead on thing over and over again. We have thousands of years of writings. We have centuries of black mathematicians, historians, poetics, all these people. You can find these literatures in some libraries, some museums, but most importantly, you can find them in some black bookstores. Mm. You can go to these places and find what white people have intentionally discarded, intentionally stolen and put their name on it. You can find entire African mathematics textbooks on the internet with pages of in-text citations so we can find stuff on our own somewhere around the world. So when we say, how can we do it? Black folk have explained how forever. There's two problems. White people have five centuries of scaring us into compliance, the same thing that police departments do, the same thing that medical and health professionals do. Mm. Black people are told that if we speak out too much, same thing with politicians, actually, because during election time, Black people are told, vote or die. If you don't bite, never, if you don't vote, never talk to me again. We're told to you shut up. Biden, you're not Black. 
Yeah, and Biden is the same. He's the same nonsense as the rest of them. It's that same jargon. It's 100% anti-Black. Every political party is anti-Black. And anyone who complies to that, they are just going with the flow and whatever, whatever, whatever. And I I say this to Black folk every day. If you choose to not be a registered independent, maybe your state doesn't allow it, you need to speak out against the state as well then. But Black people, we've had many reasons to protest, do uprisings. Long before Karl Marx existed, Black folk have written about uprisings. This is literally stuff that Black people had discussed. So when people ask me, how do we do it? We can do it many ways. But even when I've done presentations for Black teachers, Black teachers and Black school officials have mocked me because they said, well, (laughs) uh, that sounds so interesting, but that's not real life. White people do not Mm. want you to think that's real life. Mm. White White people want you to mock me. White people want you to troll me on the internet that's how you get your raise at the job because mm. you got to prove that you are as not extremist like Kenya. By the way, Kenya is not quote unquote extremist. I'm literally saying what black people have said for centuries. And too many black teachers, too many black school officials will lynch other black people and tell white people, well, at least I didn't challenge you too much. Can I get that raise? Mm. So this is the same nonsense over and over again. Mm. Black people have the same demands. Now these these people who are in these decision-making capacities need to be honest. You don't care because you want to keep your job. Well, and I'm going to end it. I'm going to end this podcast right now with, I'm going to sing you out with one word because you said about how these people do it and how they could do it. And they said that it's not possible for you to do it to them. I sing. Whoa, life, life is what you make it. Make it, my darling. My, exactly. So I, you know, I, had to, I dropped off before I went to the high notes because we're not at karaoke tonight. We're five centuries of struggling, black folk. Nothing. Look, any kind of injustice will never end as long as humans exist. This is thousands of years. But we just got to keep working as black folk and admit if you don't give a damn, admit if you just need to keep your job based on our oppression, just admit it and get your behind off of social media pretending that you're doing social justice hashtags. You don't care and go on square. Please. I'm trying to tell you, listen, you're never going to, you're never going to get me. They're never going to get me like locked down a hundred percent because I am a part-time, I am a part-time podcaster. I am a full-time businessman, entrepreneur doing what the fuck I want to do. So it's like, I love y'all and everything, and I appreciate it, and I understand your anger. I understand that two out of ten kids who are adult age were born, have attachment disorders, and they have a difficulty hearing what other people or older men have to say to them because of things that they've come up. I respect that, and I understand that. I respect it, and I understand it. But I ain't here just for you. I'm here for me, and maybe one day you'll catch up and you'll understand because... They programmed you. And Chuck D, some of y'all, y'all got that hip-hop programming, and you went from 18 to 35, and now you're trying to fucking figure it out. And I was there the entire time, like, sitting there watching y'all, like, okay, nigga. You know you're going to have folks emailing you to fuss at you because you said that, Nobody ever emails me about anything. They They don't even bother. I guess they just understand that. I think it comes across that I really just don't give a fuck. You know, you can't I want, really... I want y'all to 
called y'all out. Yeah, well, you know, if you want to find out what my email is, go to the website, Born in Trouble. You can write as many emails as you want on Born in Trouble. I don't know if I'm ever going to open them or read them, but you can go to them and you can do anything you feel like doing. You know, do you. We just... And this is not about perfection. This is about what you can contribute in your lifetime. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not about risking your life, risking your family, risking your job. However, you have to understand if you are a change maker, as much as you declare on that hashtag on Twitter, you're going to risk your job. There's no such thing as a change maker who's just online. And this includes those of us with disabilities. And we find other ways to make some changes off of the internet. That's the truth. So that's why y'all have to go to my website and buy my legal cannabis. So that way I can say whatever I want to say at any point in time. Go ahead. And I got a t-shirt from John, so y'all need to get you a t-shirt That's too. right. Buyblackcannabis.com. Holla. Come and check us out. We doing our thing. Dr. Kimia, tell me one thing. You're about to, you're thinking about starting a podcast, right? You're going to, you're going to have some really yeah. good stuff on that podcast, ain't you? Yeah, yeah, you know, you're going to be a regular guest on there because this is, we are people who talk about real work. Yes. And we are people who, I always tell people when I'm a guest on their podcast, I am not, I am a theorist. I've taught theory courses to students, but I always want our people to understand, like literally, if all you can do is sit behind a desk and theorize, then I want you to get out of my way so that we can do some Thank real you. changes Thank in our you. lifetime. Right. We don't want to just talk about that. We don't want to just talk about the problems ad nauseum. We want to talk. We want to find some solutions because truth mm-hmm. of the matter is, it's like, you know, for me, the way I look at it, this is for my grandkids, this is for my grandbabies and for my son and mm-hmm. for my daughters and all that, because this is the this is the the um, environment that they have to live in and they have to prosper in. Hopefully I'll be here for another 50 years or so. But, you know. You can never say, we don't know what's going to happen to us. Nothing's promised. So what I give is I give a gift to the world. And if I could send each and every one of y'all a spliff, I would. Holla. Born in trouble. Thank you, Dr. Kimya. The rude dentist, once again, for coming in and enlightening our audience. And being Thank a perfect you. Guest. And I will catch y'all on our normal Friday. Peace. Check out Dr. Dennis and 365 Diversity, Inc., And we will see y'all next week. Peace. See, I'm bringing out with the music now because you can hear it now. Born in Trouble. Get it, y'all. In and out the frame, out your flame, I'll make it brighter, douse and sing. About the same as these others, just counting change. What? The mountain range look higher when out in planes. The counterfeit range, profound.